Josh Williams here, and welcome to another bonus episode of the One Man Podcast. Today, my guest is comedian and a good friend of mine, Trent McClellan. Trent has performed all over North America. He's performed at uh, Just for Laughs, Halifax, Winnipeg, performed on Canada Reads, uh, I believe CBC's The Debaters, you name it, he's done it. He's also been a writer for This Hour Has 22 Minutes, uh, but the uh, I guess the, the, the biggest new uh, thing that he's got going on is uh, this coming season, he will be in front of the camera, newest cast member of This Hour Has 22 Minutes. So thank you, Trent, for for sitting there while I, while I praise you all your amazing accomplishments. <laughs> Go on. Oh, God. As I, as I wrote it, please, Josh. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I'll make sure I don't miss any of the points. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to have you here. You're my first, uh, you know, first phoner interview. We tried just uh, for full disclosure, guys, Trent has already, we've been talking for over an hour now already, trying to get Skype to work. We still have it in the background. We can see each other's faces. I'm falling in love all over again. But uh, we've just had is- <laughs> we've just had issues with the the audio quality. It just goes up and down. Um, so we've just decided to do it via the phone. So um, if you can feel the the interest in talking to each other dwindling, it's because it's already been more than enough. <laughs> kidding. Um, so I just but thanks Trent for for bearing with me because I can only imagine you know uh, how frustrating it would be for you know real professionals. I pre- no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I mean, it's been just horrendous. I just. Um, yeah, um, we're like two old men now trying to figure out technology. We've become those two dudes. Just literally, in like we didn't use Skype for a year, and now it's like, I don't, can you hear? Is this? We're yelling at each other on oh, the yeah. other end. Oh, yeah, and there was beeps going on. The The volume was going up and down for no reason. We, we were using different microphones and stuff. So just uh, I just quit, and I plugged it into my phone, and that's it. I'm sorry, guys. I tried to be cutting edge, and uh, we're just going with good old-fashioned cellular. So it's um, a thing. It's a good, yeah. So thank you for your patience with this, uh, uh, Trent. I really appreciate it. So to introduce you to all of my, uh, my listeners who are not necessarily comedians. Um, and of course to the comedians that are, I just wanted to ask you, uh, like I said, I mean, there's really not a whole lot that I can't say about you. Like a, you're, you're one of my favorite people, not only to watch, but to, you know, just hang out with and, and chat with, um, last year you were doing a show here in Ottawa. We got a chance to, you, know, you stay with us at the house. We had a chance to, to hang out for a few days, spectacular time laughs all the time and it's the the best part is it's effortless it wasn't like that comedic you know everyone's trying to make the other guy laugh kind of thing it was just a a cool opportunity to hang out have some laughs over just asinine goofy shit um yeah so yeah i remember trying to like i remember thinking like we were laughing so much through the day i'm like am i gonna have any energy left for the show (laughs) at 8 p.m oh yeah Sometimes that can happen when you laugh yourself out and you're like, wow, okay. Oh yeah. I got to go do this thing now. I forgot about oh, that. Yeah. So. Well, I've gotten myself, I haven't, uh, well, here's the thing. Cause you and I uh, are both, you know, fans of podcasts and, uh, you know, we were both joking about, uh, Burr's podcast, how he's always going, Oh, Jesus. You know, and, and you and I were doing that back and forth for three days straight. So it is now it, the regular part of my, like it's in there. I say it just in my day-to-day life from time to time. And, uh, I actually said it once in the podcast, uh, Chris Ludmus is the only time I have ever edited something out of my podcast. So, oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. I, I said it. And then immediately I was just in the moment. I was like, that's, that's me channeling berm wearing my influences on my sleeve. So I cut it out only because I didn't want to be, you know, that's the only thing I've ever edited. Nothing I've ever said, uh, have I edited out of the podcast, but, uh, but I blame you. I blame you. Yeah, thank you. And your good I'll, nature. I'll accept, yeah, it was, I'll accept uh, blame for that. My <laughs> wife says that uh, 
my wife says that I slipped that into conver- our conversations as well now. And I'm not even aware of it. She's like, yeah, you do that birth thing. And I'm like, <laughs> no, I don't. She's like, yeah, you do. You do that Boston accent thing. And I'm like, when, oh, yeah. when do I do it? And I can't, it's subliminal almost. I don't even realize. So it's almost ingrained. So I got to, I could probably start recording my conversations and then editing those conversations later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, the New England accent is an easy one to do. Like I went from like the hickish southerny sort of like, hi man, what do you do? To like now my yeah. my dumb person is the New England loudmouth Peter Griffin sort of thing. Oh, you having right, a good yeah. time there? You doing a good thing? Yeah, yeah. Just that thing. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's, it's a, kind fun of a combination. Accent. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of a combination <laughs> of the southern guy and the yeah. It's the. Uh, Yes, I like that one. It's I like, like that. the new buffoon kind of thing. Is the that the new buffoon? That new that buffoon. sounds like a good band. That'll be a new band in England. The new buffoons. <laughs> you think so? England will take that one. Yeah, yeah. They'll be like, hey, we're the new buffoons, and you're watching much music. <laughs> yeah, and of course. Just there in the the England bands always come here to promote themselves. We need about. Can we get just a little bit more of an audience? <laughs> a lot of travel. Yeah, we, we're playing. We're playing at Starbucks. Come on down. It'll be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, that's all we're, the, uh, we're taking our UK it. band to to Canada to play in a US franchise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's great. yeah. The worst manager of all time. I've got a bunch of dates. It's across the country. Okay, <laughs> we're going to do show after show, night after night. It seats thirteen people. Okay, they're going to be Starbucks. All right, free coffees for everybody. Yeah. Do you know it's how big amazing, Starbucks guys. is? Do you know how big they're? They're great. You're playing America. You're welcome. You're welcome, dude. <laughs> That's pretty funny. So yeah, that'd be it. That'd be it. <laughs> it's wild, eh? How those UK bands like, like even now, like I got, I got my US work visa about two years ago. Okay. And and it, like it is like starting over in many regards. I'm sure you've heard lots of comedians talk about that, but Absolutely. like you realize that going to another country for most acts, regardless of what your profession is in entertainment is literally like starting over. So I'm always amazed at these British bands who could be huge. Like Robbie Williams back in the day was like mm-hmm. gigantic in the UK. And he came to the U S and it was like, nothing happened. Like people just didn't connect with it, but he's still a massive star in the UK. Like it's so weird how you can just be in your little universe and pod and be that thing. And then you go elsewhere and it just doesn't, it doesn't go with you. It doesn't transfer. Yeah. It's just a, it's a weird thing. It's because like you would soccer. Think, <laughs> yeah. Here you go. Yeah. Like how would you ever else? We don't care. Yeah. How do we struggle in soccer, men's soccer? And the Americans have gone on to become, you know, one of the, you know, top 15 or 20 in the world. Like they're there and they were like we were at one point. So actually one of my podcasts, we talked about that. I talked to uh, one of the coaches here in Calgary and we had a big discussion about Canadian soccer and stuff and why it is where it is. But yeah, it's weird. It's just kind of weird how things aren't transferable. Maybe because we only have lawns for like three months of the year. (laughs) That could be yeah, that's you don't part have a of whole lot of fields to run across. Yeah. But you'd look at countries like um, Norway, for example, who gets a ton of winter. They're ranked way higher than we are than, than, than Canadians are, and they have way less population. So it's like, how, what, something, who, the, where do we blame? It's So it's weird. Things that you would think would be obstructions to success actually aren't for other countries. So why is that? We have more wealth than some countries. Whereas a country like, you know, Brazil or Chile or something, which is far poorer, they tend to do well. And then this uh, piques your interest and you fall asleep while I'm talking to you here. And I wake <laughs> you guys up don't know, no, I'm crossing my eyes at Trent right now. This is why I <laughs> dropped out of high school. If you throw too much information at me at once, my eyes will roll back in my head. It's like geography. You're like, when's recess? When's recess? <laughs> well, we, we had a great riff on the uh, you doing Canada Reads that, of course, got lost to the uh, the Skype failure. Well, that'll be it. 
there'll be an episode three of this same podcast, uh, which is a three part, <laughs> is a three part podcast where we, uh, yeah. Yeah. The bonus so. features of all the different takes that we do. We just do a blooper reel of all the shit that we tried to record for anyone yeah, who doesn't exactly. know. I, I, I was talking to Trent, because I might, might re you know, bring it back up now, but Trent was part of Canada reads, which was, uh, I learned recently that, yeah. So it's, it's basically kind of like the debaters about books. But you were saying that yeah. you have to to read everybody's books. So you you all read all the same books, and then you yeah. defend your book, and it's a process of elimination thing. Yeah, five personalities in Canada, and we all pick our favorite book uh, from a short list, and then we all meet for three or four days, and we debate as to which book is the best. And of course, you're defending yours to the death. And then we all also get to vote a book off every single day. But you have to read all five and know them pretty well. Obviously, you have to know your own pretty well. And then at the end of the day, there's one book left standing. So my book, uh, but I defend it anyway, uh, book by um, uh, Lisa Moore called February is the one that won that year. So, yeah, I say to you earlier, too, it was like the most stress I've ever felt in my life. Like going up on stage and doing stand up. I'm like, I feel at home doing that. Like that's comfortable, like my living room. But defending somebody else's work that they've put like years and years of research into and writing. And now they're handing it to you as a stranger going, here you go. Defend that to the world. It's yeah. Like, okay. Here we go. Well, uh, the whole thing yeah. sounds like school. I mean, well, it, it's like, it's like a book club and we all fight to the death. But it sounds like the opposite of the way the world is right now as everyone reads everyone else's stuff. So you have all sides of the story before you start defending it. And instead of defending right. like your favorite, you know, pop star or something like that, like, I'm going to defend a book. I'm going to read it. I'm going to gain knowledge and I'm going to eloquently yeah. defend why this book is a masterful piece of art. You know what I mean? And it, like you said, you're not yeah, even it, defending your own works. You're defending someone else's like a lawyer who just got the case. And you're like, Hey, this is my, yeah. my life we're talking yeah. about here. And you're like, yeah, no, no, I'll try. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. Well, and what if you th and th I thought about like, what if the roles were reversed? What if an author had to defend my act? <laughs> they had to sit down and go. <laughs> I don't think this it's is awesome. why Trent's joke is better than this other comedian's joke. I'd be sitting at home, like just crushing rum, just going like, "Oh my god, <laughs> no, don't say that, don't say that." I'd just be a total mess. So I think it'd be it must fun. Be hard for the authors to watch. Yeah, I think it'd be fun to listen to someone try to eloquently defend stand up. Like people are, are yeah. you ever you ever see something and then you hear people who are putting like meaning behind it, and you and the, even the author's like, "Fuck, I didn't mean that." Jeez, I, like, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't realize I was saying shit that I, you know, it's like, yeah, well, that sounds funny. way it's better funny. than my explanation. It's it's funny too, because I know a lot of musicians feel that way about their song lyrics. Like they don't like explaining what a song is about for that very reason, because someone's going to hear those words and they're going to cut their own life into it and their own history and politics and upbringing. And they're going to get a very different message out of it than what was intended. So they're like, we don't want to ruin that for the listener. So whatever you think it is, it is. We don't want to take that away from you by saying, well, actually it's about my cat and, uh, you know, I'd rather it just be, you know, I I've, I've thought of this many times the course of my life. I've listened to so many songs that I've loved, known the lyrics for years. Don't understand what the fuck they're talking about in that song. And mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm like, what is wrong with me that I can't understand? Everyone's like, this song is about that. And I never argued. I took zero meaning from a lot of them. A lot, not all right. There's some songs very yeah. obvious what they're about. But, uh, yeah. but some of the, like the, the, you know, nineties alternative songs, like I listen to smashing pumpkin lyrics. I don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Some of them I yeah. do, but not a lot of them. I'm like, and I just, and people this song's about that. And I go, I guess you must've researched yeah. it. I go, I still like it, but I don't know what the yeah. fuck they're talking about. Well, it's funny. Cause I think the parallel to comedy too, is like people like wordplay sometimes. And that's why they laugh or you make a funny face 
or make a fart sound and people laugh. Like it's everyone, everyone takes what they want out of it and go, that's why I like that, you know? So Absolutely. it's not really, it's not really up to the person who creates it to decide, you know, like, Oh, you're going to laugh for this reason. It's like, no, no, I'll decide why I'm going to laugh at that or not laugh. So I think you're right. As like Bill Burr says, once he puts it out in the world, it's no longer his. That's the way he feels about material. I think that's okay. right. You know, I've, I haven't no heard him say that, but that's good. Yeah, once you put it out in the world, people are going to cut it with their own life and take what they want out of it. I mean, we've had times where I'm sure you've had where someone hears one word in a joke and they're like, they just, oh, you said whatever. It's like you're kind of missing the bigger point here where right. I was going, but they're, they're hung up on a word or even a topic. So you can't really worry about, you know, you know what your intention was when you said it. You can't really worry about how someone's going to process it. No, absolutely. And that's, uh, like I said, I mean, that's, that is one of the fun things that, you know, you put something out there and people enjoy it for different reasons. Um, and, and I'm, and I'm sort of glad that it transitioned back into comedy because like I said, for my listeners who are, are not necessarily comedians, and even myself, some of these questions that I have, I, I don't necessarily know the answers to, but, um, you're from Cornerbrook, Newfoundland. Um, and yes. I, I always thought like my, my first question you'd be was how did you get into stand up comedy? Um, and I always thought you started in, in Cornerbrook. Yeah, no, I was living in Cornerbrook, went to university in St. John's, Newfoundland on the east coast of the province, uh, graduated, worked there for a couple of years. And then I decided to move to Calgary, Alberta, just because the economy was falling apart in Newfoundland. There weren't many opportunities. So moved to Calgary. But in the interim, I was looking at the possibility of trying stand up for the first time. So in Newfoundland, there were no comedy clubs anywhere across the province. There may have been a show or two that came through, but no uh, set up comedy uh, room per se, not an open mic, not a club, nothing. So I um, was like, hey, move to Calgary. They have open mic opportunities. I want to try it. And the benefit to me was if I go there and it doesn't go well, then who cares? No one knows me anyway. So it doesn't matter. So really there was nothing to lose. Um, so yeah, that was my first uh, opportunity to go on stage. Probably would have been 2004, I guess. Yeah. So Went to an open mic, did five minutes. Luckily, it went well. I often wonder what would have happened if it hadn't gone well. You know, how would I have gone back? You know, but I was fortunate that the audience got what I was talking about, and uh, that was it. I was hooked. I was like, man, this is the best feeling in the world, as you know. So absolutely, it was it. And there's a lot. It's funny that you're saying, you know, hey, well, no one, no one will know me here. It's a, it's, it seems to be, uh, you know, I don't know, know the percentage, but there's two things people think when they're doing stand-up. They either they either bring a ton of friends or they don't bring a single one. There doesn't seem to be someone like, Oh, you know, it's my first time. So I brought a friend or two. It's either a giant safety blanket or complete, you know, anonymity or whatever. Yes. So, uh, and I think it's funny. I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but I always felt like my first time it would have been more pressure to bring people. I know because it would have been like, you're all going to be there for this experience. I have no way of knowing how it's going to go. So, and then of course, when you fill a room with a bunch of your friends and family, it's not really authentic laughs right. because they're just there to support you or it goes the other way. They're hyper nervous for you. And now they can't laugh because they're so tense and whatever. So I always thought it'd be better off to just go in front of strangers and that'd be a more authentic gauge as to where I was or what I was doing. But I, to this day, I still see people like, yeah, it's my first time. And I brought everyone from work and I'm like, Oh my God. Yeah. Well, you might need to quit you your job now. <laughs> yeah. If this goes bad, yeah, you start talking about gotta, dick and cum yeah. jokes. It's going to be, it's going to be hard to look these people in the face tomorrow. Yeah. At the, uh, at the coffee pot, like, uh, so, uh, <laughs> 
that was Rafael last night. That was, uh, you go to the meeting today? Uh, yeah, I, did. I wanted to keep those two worlds very separate until I knew, okay, I've built a level of competency with this. And now, you know, uh, well, for had, the most part. But, I had know. work friends and family at my first time, but it happened. Uh, I, it was not my choice. Um, I, I was going with friends. I've talked about this in other podcasts. I was going with friends to open mics a lot. And the first time, uh, I got asked to, uh, to stand up. It was, it was Trevor Thompson. And, uh, he was talking to my group of friends cause we were going to shows. He recognized us, seeing us over and over again. And he said, uh, you know, Hey, what brings you guys? And one of my friends was like, we want Josh to do comedy. And he goes, well, I run a room on this night or whatever. I can put you on, on this date. And it was like, all my friends were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, fine. So they knew it was happening. Like, it wasn't like I checked it out and, and got it. Like they were the ones yeah. pushing for it. I accepted. And then they just knew when it was going to be. And they all decided they were coming. So, yeah, you know, I yeah. had the safety blanket there, but it wasn't like, oh, I need the safety blanket. Cause now going forward, whenever I have something new, like I don't even pitch ideas or premises to people anymore, because I know that as soon as I get an idea in my head, I'm going to, I could tell two or three people and they might nod and go, oh, that's funny. And immediately I go, okay, well, it's not funny then because you didn't laugh out loud and you know what I mean? Like right. they're just, I know what I want a joke to sound like because I know what it feels like on stage to get a joke that works and no two or three people sitting around a table or whatever can ever give me that response. So I will immediately doubt it. I'm in that hole. Like the, the laughter is real on stage. Everything else may or may not be sycophantic or, or supportive or whatever it is. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like when you're talking to comedians about a bit, like if you and I were talking, you know, having lunch or whatever, I got, I got this idea for a bit. You might not laugh out loud, but like you'd go, yeah, that'd be funny. Like we can just do that as comedians. We're like, yeah, that's funny. Cause you just know it'll work yeah. or it has potential to work. But I think when you talk to people who aren't in stand up, you see them as audience members. And so when a bit doesn't roll across the table and they don't, it doesn't seem to get a laugh out of them, you're like, okay, never mind. Uh, that's yeah. stupid. Uh, that's no, stupid. stupid. I'm you sorry. Know, like, and, and you're here it is, totally out of the environment, totally out of context. You know, you're sitting around a table. It's not even a place to, so yeah, it's weird how you can lose confidence in a bit just by the presentation of it the first time to someone. I would, I don't think that's very funny. Like it's like, well, okay, thank you for crushing my dreams and uh, yeah. the hell is you. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, by the way, I'm going to be on at this place, so get some tickets for it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this. Uh, just so you know, because I've had it go the other way where someone thought like, yeah, I don't want really to see anything there. And I've ignored that and gone to a comedy club and tried it and the bit did really well. So, yeah. I mean, you know, obviously it's no gauges to how it will go. And uh, I knew a friend of mine one time used to always ask his girlfriend, like what she thought of this idea, this bit. And she'd be like, oh, I don't like that. And it's like, you know, you're just talking to one person and mm -hmm. this person is going to shoot it down. It's like, that could be your best bit. That could be the thing that you hang your hat on for the next two years. You know? I've, so uh, yeah, I've had stuff like that where you just go, uh, Oh, okay. Well, the it's, it's this and you get the feedback and you go, okay, I'm not going to do it. And then you try it you know, accidentally, a lot of my stuff is with the crowd work. I'll be talking to someone and it reminds me of a story. And because we're talking about that thing, I'll, sh I'll go, ah, fuck, I'll tell the story. And the crowd laughs and I go, fuck, I I've been sitting on this for so long. I was going to try that years ago and look, it yeah. works. but I mean, and knows? it's such an organic, yeah, it's such an organic thing, man. Like you and I've had these conversations before about, you know, it's not just about the wording of something. It's about the volume of it, the tone of it. Do you whisper? Do you add other voices to it? What is it sandwiched in between um, the speed in which you do it? Like there's so many things and knobs to adjust on one particular bit or concept. And so you're always tweaking it. So just to fire a rough draft of it across the table and go, hey, I'm thinking about doing something like this. It's like, that's not even a joke, really. That's just, right. here's an idea I have. And it could be colored in any different way. So, you know, you have to be very precious, I think, in terms of who you share 
that idea with because they can they can feel it pretty quick and it, and also it may not just be a topic they just don't care to hear about like it could be like yeah i'm just they're just not in that headspace yeah you know and I mean? it's not it's relatable just, or anything like that at that point no. yeah you know you're absolutely right and that's why i say like i i just for me now it's there's one place that will tell me whether something is funny or not and that's the stage everything else yeah. is just yeah you can throw it out there maybe pick someone's brain but i don't use it yeah. as a as a what do you call it a barometer for how funny the the, the joke itself is it's just meh yeah, I mean, you're right, and you don't know. And other times you think something's going to be amazing, and it's not. Other times you're like, yeah, this is a half-assed thought I had about whatever, and that bit does amazing. So it's like, I think John Mayer, I heard him in an interview once. He was talking to a bunch of music school students, and he said, uh, he asked him how many people here think that they're smarter than the public or smarter than the audience. Everybody and a lot of them put their yeah, everyone put their hands up, and he goes. He goes, that's funny. He goes, because every musician puts an album out and they pick, you know, the song they want to be released as a single. He goes, and quite often that song goes up and just crashes. It doesn't do anything. He goes, whereas another song, song that's seven or eight on the album could be the song that's the hit. And all of a sudden everyone loves that. So it's like, who knew more then? The audience always knows more. So they always, and in comedy, the audience will decide what you're going to laugh at and what they're not going to laugh at. So at the end of the day, they are judge and jury and you put it all out there and see what sticks. Yeah. And that's, and that's, that's really the only way to do it. And, uh, and speaking of just, of course, trying shit, see how it works. I mean, you, you started stand up in Calgary, you're doing open mics. Do you remember how long it was before you started getting paid work and, and sort of moving up the, the ladder in comedy? Um, that's an interesting question. We didn't have a lot of stage time available to us. I mean, at the time there were two comedy clubs, you couldn't play both. You could only play one. So we went to amateur night at Yuck Yucks every Tuesday mm-hmm. and you weren't even guaranteed stage time every Tuesday. So, I mean, I would be lucky if I had two or three spots a month when I look back on it now, now Calgary has a bunch of comedy clubs, a bunch of amazing, you know, solo rooms. So you can get up four or five times a week, like, you know, with good like comedy audiences, like right. not just comic back of the room. So, so yeah, when I look back on that, I'm like, man, that was all done just by one night in one room. Um, and I think probably, yeah, after about two years, probably I would think I got start getting sent out to, you know, road gigs. And it's funny because earlier I was thinking about who I went, my first road gig paid road gig was with Jocko Alston that you and Jason were talking about right. the other day. He was such a great guy. And I went to this horrible bar in Northern Alberta in Fairview, Alberta, which was famously known as the worst gig in comedy. <laughs> like it was, you drove forever. The motel was brutal. The tr- pickup trucks to be outside, uh, heating up in the winter and just pumping exhaust underneath your motel room door. <laughs> so you'd be lucky to be alive in the morning. Um, and we get there. There's four people there, four uh, guys who are uh, just having an off shift from the rigs playing VLT machines. They have no idea there's a comedy show going to happen. So the girl who worked, who was working there, convinces them to, uh, "Hey guys, why don't you shut off the machines and watch our comedians?" And it's like they'd already delayed the show a half an hour, like keep doing it a half an hour because no one was there. It's like, well, wait another half hour, you know? Oh, well, wait another half hour. It's like, okay, now yeah, it's, it's eleven. More o'clock. likely, yeah. People who are showing up, oh, the ones yeah. who are trying to skip the comedy show at that point, yeah, it'll be over by the time oh, yeah. we get there. <laughs> yeah, a busload of people are showing up here at eleven fifteen and going, "Hey, where's the comedy show?" Like that's not happening. Yeah. And uh, I was opening for Jocko and I went up there and it was just absolutely wretched, right? It was so bad. <laughs> and he goes up and the wily veteran that he was, he managed to wrangle these four guys and uh, just acknowledging the elephant in the room. There was no one there. I just went right into my stand up, not knowing yeah. like, Hey, good to be here. I got a cat, everybody. And they're just like, what? What is he kissing? <laughs> so, uh, so it was horrible, but 
I, we had so much fun on the trip, on the drive up and on the drive back. And he was like so kind and generous that I couldn't wait to get on stage that that next night I was like, man, I want to get a spot somewhere to try and get on. And, uh, I often think if I hadn't gone with someone who had that kind of, um, passion for it and was so enjoyable to be around, I don't know if I'd still be a comedian. Cause that could have been the wall I would have hit where, cause you know, it's very different doing comedy in your home club. And then now you go drive nine hours on icy highways and you got to go be funny in this bar with, you know, like it's a very yeah. different world. Absolutely. So he was just so encouraging and so positive and we just were laughing. And I'm like, that was so much fun. Just the offstage part that I was like, okay, I just washed off that show and I couldn't wait to do another one. But a lot of comics don't get that. That's not their first experience, right? Their first experience is a bad gig and they're paired up with someone who's doesn't have a great outlook on the business. It's pretty negative about it all. Um, treats them kind of crappily. You know what I mean? Like, so I was like, I just feel fortunate that he was the first guy that I did road work with, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and I've, I've quoted you on a lot of things too. I don't know if now's the time to bring up uh, some of the stuff that you've talked to me about, but, uh, I'd love to, to, to just share it because I've shared it with a lot of comics ever since you spoke to me about it. I'll, I'll throw the term out there, but maybe now we won't go into it too, too much, but the, uh, the comedy cancer when you've, uh, when you were talking ah, about yes. that. Um, yeah. cause that's the thing is that at this point in your story that we're at right now, you're just, you're starting to learn the, the ropes or whatnot. And, um, it's, uh, it's very, very interesting because I want to talk more about you and, and sort of uh, a little bit less about the business. I love talking comedy. It's, it's very hard. Anytime you get a comic talking about comedy, it's like opening Pandora's box, right? You know, or, yeah, oh, yeah. or summoning a Ouija board. All right. You got it open. The spirit is here, but yeah. now getting rid of it. That's the hard part. <laughs> but, that's right. <laughs> But, right. uh, yeah, I mean, like, it, it's great. Like, like I said, since then you, you've accomplished a lot. I mean, like I said, you're, you're, you're a very fun person to be uh, around and you're a very funny comedian. Um, you've had an opportunity to, like you said, just doing road gigs and stuff. You've, you've traveled, uh, you opened for Jerry D if I'm not mistaken. Um, I did. Yeah. Very, yeah. very big name in Canada. Um, you know, what were, how did that experience sort of come to, to come to pass? You know what I mean? Like just. Yeah, I think at the time my agent just reached out to Jerry when he was announced his Cross Canada tour. And so there's a bunch of dates in Alberta. So she reached out and said, hey, do you need an opening act? And he said, yes. And I think she submitted my clip and he was like, yeah, sure. So that's how I first started doing it. Um, but that initial meeting was so important because I learned about how much work it takes, I think, to to make it in this business. Like I realized, I think then within that first interaction first couple months that talent's not enough like you'll have to like talent's the baseline thing that gets you in the room and now it's like okay who's really going to work now like that was your invitation to come to the party talent and now it's like are you going to put your head down and work and risk failing repeatedly and getting up and going again like so his work ethic was just so admirable i'm like oh you're not just resting on this one thing you did. You're now going to take that and move on to the next thing and then take that and move on to the next thing. There was always multiple pots on the stove at all times. Mm -hmm. And that was the biggest thing I learned from him was like, you need to put your head down and constantly create something. And, you know, so that was, uh, yeah, that was invaluable to see that early on. I think you had mentioned at one point you guys were, were in the car, you were driving to a show and he was like on his laptop writing an episode of Mr. D or something, taking yeah. phone calls for, for shows and things like that. And that's, I mean, that's you just telling me that story was huge. I'm like, yeah, that's like, 
I think that was one of the things that I hit early on in the industry was I, I saw a lot of comics who I was coming up with who were all like, Hey, how come I'm not getting called for, for shows? And how come, you know, this guy's getting that and I'm funnier than this guy. And Hey, how did you like, even myself, like I don't consider when I was new, I just considered myself trying things like reaching out to other clubs and stuff like that. Um, I wasn't really sure whether or not that was something that was, uh, you know, going to work, but you got to try something, right? You can't just sit, wait for the phone to ring. And, uh, and like I said, a lot of guys would sit around and sort of talk about who deserves what and why is this person getting that? And, and when we were discussing that, you were saying that was where that term comedy cancer comes from because, you know, we're yeah. a guy like Jerry D who, you know, we finish the show and then you go back to the hotel, you go to sleep. You're not sitting up all night drinking and complaining about who's, who's succeeding and what, and who deserves what you just, you go back to bed, you get up early and you start working the next day. You know what I mean? Yeah, start it's, doing what it I, takes. I think it's, uh, I mentioned it on my podcast, I think earlier this year too, that I think people get into comedy thinking that the work is over, like they're leaving the nine to five world. I don't have a boss. I can do what I want. How much fun. You're right. You can drink and party and do all this stuff. And it's like, you can, but I think you realize the people that are the most successful in this business are the ones that are talented, A, but also work really, really hard and they don't, they're not, that's not their rituals at all mm -hmm. to like, be like, yeah, I just get up when I want and do what I want and whatever. It's like, they just don't adopt that. And that's goes from like Shama Jundar, Mark Critch, like all these people have had success in the business. When you look at the blueprints and the common thread that goes through all of them, there's just a work ethic that's kind of at a higher rate than other people. doesn't mean they're more talented. It just means they work harder. And I think that's the double-edged sword of comedy, right? Hey, you don't have a boss anymore. Congratulations. So now you have to set the standard for yourself. That's and the toughest that's discipline really difficult to, to do. Yeah. It's the exactly. toughest discipline. I, I've, I, I, I had that same thought, you know, like I, I'm not going to have the nine to five anymore. I have never worked harder in my life, uh, yeah. than, than doing stand up comedy and not necessarily physically hard, but I can tell you the, the, the mental taxation sometimes, because it really is. I mean, I got to a point where, you know, if I sit down and try to watch a TV show in the middle of the day, I feel guilty. I'm like, I could be doing something. I could be making a poster or sending an email or, or plugging yeah. something on social. Like there's gotta be, there's something I can be doing right now to further myself comedically. And even when you do, you can put the full day in, right? Self-employed, you, you're never off the clock. You know yeah. I mean? And there's two sides to it, right? Like there's the artistic side you're talking about where, you know, you could be writing jokes or fixing jokes or excuse me, working on your set, whatever it is. But then there's the business side of it with, marketing and learning more about social media and like you're an entrepreneur you really are like but a lot of people go into it not thinking that it's just like oh, i'm a comedian man it's like okay great but your product is your comedy so that makes you an entrepreneur you have to find ways to get your product out there to find who your your audience is all those things takes work and it takes digging and trying to figure out what works for you and what doesn't work for you so i almost divide them into two categories of like the artistic side, generating material, working on your act. And then there's the business side of learning about things and about budgets and about marketing and what works for ads and all those things. So Absolutely. that's something I've had to adopt that mentality. I think I always had this, the artistic part, cause that's the fun part, right? Like right. I enjoy working on jokes and crafting material. I enjoy that building set. The other part I didn't enjoy my, Oh my God, I got to watch a YouTube video on like Instagram marketing or whatever it is, but you realize you're competing against everybody else that's out there and not just in your field, but you're competing for an audience's attention in a world where they have so many things yelling at them. Look at me, go to this restaurant, go to this show, come here, visit this place. It's like that you're all part of that. You know, when you're trying to put yourself out there yeah. as something that's worth looking at. So 
I think adopting that mentality about, okay, how do I become better at the business side of it is also equally as important. I think if you, again, that's what these people did who are successful, they understand it's a business. And so how do I learn from that? So, well, when I first started too, like I, I suggested to, to other comedians and stuff, like I, I got headshots in the first year and I'll be honest at the time I thought, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know what I'm going to be using these for. I'm not really getting booked where they're putting my headshot out or anything, but I'm like, but I'm like, I want to take it seriously. Right. And if I want to be taken seriously, it's that whole fake it till you make it. But I remember just uh, when I'd ask other comedians, they go, well, what, I don't need headshots or a website yet. I got nothing to promote. And I go, well, I go, when I started doing it, I was learning what I didn't like in my, you know, my headshots. I was learning what I didn't like on the, on the web and all the things I had to learn in order to do that. And I'm like, why would you wait until you need these things to start ironing the, the, the wrinkles out, you know, like working the bugs out of these things. It's like, why not be learning comedy and developing that and developing the business side at the same time? So anyone who's listening, um, there's a lot of people who might, this is just a side and I'm sure you were again, back to the comedy cancer is sometimes, you know, you'll, you'll try to, you know, get a, get put headshots out or build a website or try to develop something. And other people, you know, in the community be like, well, you're not ready for that yet. You know, you should, what are you doing that for? You don't need that. You don't need a website. Like, look at this guy, you know, pretending to, to be bigger than he, and it's, it's one of those things that's part of the comedy cancer, man. People will try to, to drag yeah. you down when you're trying to learn and develop yourself. You need to, to work on these things. You need to know these things because some day you will require them. And, you know, if you just start learning how to promote yourself on social media and all that, I mean, always be honest. Don't, don't say that, you know, you're the biggest headliner in Canada if you're not, but there's nothing wrong with, with learning how to put your face on a poster, learning how to you know create <clears throat> business cards and how to give them out and start developing an audience. Because again, once you're ready for it, you don't want to be starting at that point. You want to already have something established, you know, some experience. Yeah. yeah I, I totally agree. And I think you know, if you go back to the whole entrepreneurial mindset of it, imagine you're going to open up a coffee shop and uh, you don't have a website, you don't have a sign on the door, uh, but you want to be a coffee shop, right? You really want this business to work. That's what you said, right? No website, you have no advertising, you have nothing. And you sit down and wonder why your business is not booming. It's like you have to do the logical steps that anyone would do in a business to put themselves out there in the world. Absolutely. And the other thing I realized too which differentiates comedians um, across the board. I realized that people, there's a great saying that I learned a while back, which is uh, show me where you put your money and your time. And I'll tell you what your priorities are. Right. So people, comedians, for example, would have no problem spending a hundred bucks at a bar, but if they were going to go have to pay a hundred bucks to get headshots done or to get a, a video clip done with a couple cameras, they're like, Oh no, I'm not going to do that. So it's yeah. like, yeah, but you say, you say you want this success, right? That's yeah. what you said. You told me you wanted this. So then we look at where you put your time and where you put your money and they don't match up yeah. because your time and money are going over here, playing video games and getting drunk four nights a week. Whereas the thing you say you want is over here and it needs these steps. So I had that realization early too. It's like, if I don't match up that with the actual goal I have, that I'm full of it. Like it's, it's like anyone can talk about it, what they want. It's like, but again, show me your time and where your money goes. And then we'll say, okay, yeah, well, those are priorities for you then. Cause clearly we have a, we have a log of it. We can see where it is. You're putting your time and money. So it sounds simple when it's broken down that way, but I'm amazed still at some really talented people who just their rituals don't match up with what they say their goals are. Yeah. If that makes any sense. No, it's abs absolutely. And I haven't heard that saying, but it, but it's, ab you're absolutely right. And that's the thing, right? And it's, it's easy to sit back and look at what everyone else is doing. Go, oh, this is this and this is that, you know, but, so, and, but they're and, working. And I, yeah. And a part of that too, dude, is that comedy cancer thing. 
and I don't know if we explain it really, but comedy cancer is when you're sitting in the back of the room with a bunch of other comedians and all you do is, is shit on other comedians and you complain about why you're not where you're supposed to be and why that person got that. And you got a hoster full of excuses as to why your career is not where it's supposed to be and excuses as to why someone else is doing better when really you should just put your head down and work harder in every aspect of your own career. Mm-hmm. And that's really hard to do because that means looking in the mirror and going, oh, I got to be better in certain areas and it's uncomfortable. A lot easier to just look out and fire off bullets at other people and whatever. And I, I don't know, I feel like you can do that, but you end up miserable and bitter and angry and all those things. And the people who don't do that, who just work hard and trying to and just trying to improve themselves in every way, they tend to just do better in life. And they're actually happier too, but like they really oh, are absolutely. happier. And that's the thing too, is they're new, they're new, they're having fun on stage. They're hanging out with their buddies, right? They're in that circle. Uh, just to share a quote back with you is I like that one where it's like, you know, you got to change something. I know it's fun to drink and all that time, but you got to make uh, that, that saying is, uh, some people hate change so much. They're willing to fail. Some people hate failure so much. They're willing to change. And yeah, I love that. That's, that's, I love that. Yeah. And it's so huge because that's the thing is you can sit there and go, I'm not going to do it. It's like, well, then, then you're, then you're going to fail. But if you, once you yeah. get sick of it and you decide, okay, I gotta, I gotta make a change. Something's going to be different. Then, then you're going to see yourself come out of it. And yeah. I've definitely, I mean, I haven't been doing it that long and and where I'm at, you know, in terms of where I'd like to be, uh, are, are two different places, but at the same time, uh, what's like, yeah, we can just start throwing quotes at each other. Is that one that's like, you don't have to be better than anybody else. You just have to be better than you were. You know what I mean? So as yeah. long as you're improving, you know what I mean? Then, then that's all that matters. Don't comparison is the death of happiness, right? So you keep yeah, you yeah. And put all the guys that you like and how oh, he's doing this and he's doing that. All you will do is create just, just the, the, and, and I think I, I agree with all that. I think part of the problem too, with change is that, you know, you're, you become a comedian, you get accepted into this community, you know, your little class, I guess, of people who all started at the same time, you're meeting all these other comedians. So there's a part of you that wants to just stay in that community, right? Which means just doing the same things that everybody else is doing. To step out on an island on your own and start doing things that are different and taking risks that other people are taking, maybe business-wise or even creatively. We have we know people who are, you know, their act is totally different and off the wall and whatever. Like, that's really difficult because you still want to be part of that community. You still want that camaraderie. And now you're off on an island on your own and you can feel very alone. But at the end of the day, if that's what you feel you were meant to do, you got to do that anyway. Like, otherwise you're never going to be happy. So you might as well go off on the Island and guess what? There'll be other people on the Island. There just won't be as many people right. as there was on the old Island. Right. You know what I mean? Not that it's better or worse or anything. I'm just saying, if you follow your own true North, that's going to mean you're leaving, you're leaving a certain area. Like, and I, I don't mean that in terms of an egotistical way. I mean that in literally not everyone wants the same things you want. Not everyone approaches the job the same way. So just accept that. Well, and I, and I love one of the reasons I love talking to you because it does, it does bring all my favorite sort of motivational quotes to the surface as, and it's funny that you were speaking about the Island. Cause one of the ones that I like is, uh, you can't discover new oceans if you're afraid to lose sight of the shore. Yeah, you know man. I mean? Burn the so boats. You got to keep take the Island. Yeah. <laughs> I like the one. Take, right, just take keep... the Island, burn the boats. Yeah. You yeah. know, like you ain't going back. So here we go. Here well, we yeah. Go and just the, the island, thing is so... if you, if you're afraid to get out of your comfort zone, then yeah, you're never going to explore anything new. You're never going to find something that, that totally you agree. Know, yeah. So it, it's, I, I, and I love talking about, and one of the things too, uh, just something over the last year or so it's worked for me, it's worked for others in terms of just keeping the perspective was, um, you're now at a point where, you know, you, I, I, I met you working at absolute comedy and, uh, and since then you've like, I've seen you really develop in terms of just producing your own shows, because one of the things 
that I want to share is like in the industry in Canada, it's like, yeah, there's, there's comedy clubs and you think to yourself, oh, there's only so many clubs and this and that. And that's where the level I'm at is how do I get into new clubs and stuff? But, you know, after, after talking with you, cause you always see these guys in theaters and even in, in comedy, when you're new, you hear guys going, oh, you know, this guy's doing it, doing theaters now, right? There's that transition from going to, you know, doing clubs to theaters. And you think, oh, it's just that they were sold out the clubs so much that they had to do it. And it's not it's yeah. for, for. No for what you were sort of, uh, you know, explaining to me is there's a lot of relevance and I really want to share it with the, the comedians who are listening, uh, is that whole, like everyone's unhappy. Part of that, that comedy cancer thing is why is this guy getting the work here? And why am I not getting it? Um, you know, for whatever reason, right. Or the pay here sucks and why don't they pay us enough? And you just, you put it so, so simply. And that's, that's usually the best way that the information just is sometimes it's so simple what the answer is. And that's, you were saying, well, you know what? You can go rent a theater and you can charge what you want and you can be whatever spot you want to be on the show. If you're not happy with how someone else is doing it, just go do it yourself. And it's, yeah, it's, it's just a business model. Like comedy clubs are a business model. Here's how we do it. Here's how the money breaks down. And as a comedian, you decide agree or don't agree to it. So there's really no argument. There's really no like, this is what we said we're going to pay you. This is what it, whether there's 10 people or a hundred, this is what you're getting paid. Yeah. So there's no risk on your end, right? That's, and that, again, that's comfort, safety. The other part, as you said, renting out a venue, now you got your own money involved. Right. Now you're taking a risk. Now you're going to see if people come. So that's scary. And that's, that's leaving the comfort zone, right? And it's yeah. terrifying. And I get that. But I always felt like, like you just have to change your mindset. Like you're an entrepreneur. This is, you're running a business. How do you want to run your business? Like mm-hmm. you can sit here and complain about how this business is run, or you can try and leave that business model from time to time and go do your own thing. Like, but that's all a choice. You choose to be in it or you choose not to be in it. Right. So you really can't complain to the system. The system is what it is. It's always been the same. Right. You know, that's the way I kind of looked at it. So it's like the fly smacking its head off the window. Like maybe this way, maybe this way. It's like, you've never got it that way. So when do we readjust? <laughs> go in a different direction. So, you know I love that. It's like, who do you blame? You don't blame the window. The window is going to be the window at yeah. all times. It's like, I'm here and it's going to be difficult. Okay. All right. Well, I know that data and now <laughs> I need to take that data and try to go elsewhere. So, it's so simple. You know. So can yeah. I ask then, like, cause now, like you said, you're an entrepreneur, you, you do your own thing. What is it? What's a, what's, you know, what's your daily process? How do you start your day? I like to start up with my dog, Staffordshire Bull Terrier, staring me right in the face at at probably between the hour of 5.22 a.m. and 6. And he'll demand breakfast. Um, I will then get up, do that. Normally, I try and have do that, get some coffee, and then go to the gym. I like to go get, try and get out of the way early if I can. Just because if I do it later, I know I'll talk myself out of it. Um, I try and do that. I usually come back then. It's like answering emails and stuff. I heard a really cool tip a little while ago about not opening your email first thing in the morning or checking your phone first thing in the morning. Mm. Because if you have a list of things that you want to do, like let's say from the night before, the minute you open your email, it's you over. now adopt someone else. You, well, you now adopt someone else's agenda. Yeah. So now someone has sent you an email that they want a response to. Guess what? That's on your list now. Yeah. As opposed to, well, I, I didn't have that on my list. I had a bunch of other things that I wanted to do. Fuck. And now I got all this to answer to. I don't know if that makes sense or not. I'm no, I, I relate to that perfectly because I, I, I joke with Crystal all the time that, that you know, 
oh, I've got today looks pretty empty. I'm going to have, I'm going to do this, this. And I, and I do, I line up my own agenda. This is what I'm going to do. And then as soon as I open the emails or start looking at the text messages, somebody needs this, somebody needs that. And I guess it's a good way because with me artistically, um, which has been pretty thin lately is that I just go, okay, well, I gotta, I gotta help this person. have And again, it's that, that, that resistance in the back of your head that just says, no, no, go do those things. Don't do your art. Yes. Go do those it's things. A, yeah. And you're still being productive. I'm doing air quotes at Trent and Skype right now, but yeah, the, you're yeah, being yeah. productive, <laughs> right? So at the end of the yeah. day, what'd you do today? This, 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 and that, but my fucking whiteboard to the side here still has everything on that still that I was going to yep. do. So just as soon as you said, don't answer your phone, don't, don't look at your, your, uh, your, your emails. I'm like, I, I, yeah, I relate to that right away because that is exactly what happens. My agenda goes completely to what everything else needs. Now there's a bit of anxiety related because there's times my, my memory is getting worse and worse. So sometimes I'll get an email like, Hey, can we get those headshots please <laughs> or whatever it is? Right. Like, uh, can you please yeah. fill out that government form that we asked for three weeks ago? Oh shit. Cause I'll do, I'll even check my email at a red light. Uh, <laughs> which is a horrible yeah, thing. Yeah. If it's a long light, I'll just scroll to see if there's any new emails. And what happens is I'll, I'll click it real quick just to see, okay, there's that. And then, you know, put it away, go back to, to driving <laughs> such yeah. a bad yeah, mission right now, but, but then I forget it. It's not, it's not a, a blue dot anymore that I have to look at. So it just, and then of course, 16 more emails before I get home, it's been buried and I totally forget. So sometimes I feel like I got to check my email just to make sure I haven't. Yeah, that's hard. But it gets back to what you talked about earlier, too, about like just setting your own standard for yourself on your day. Like you don't have a boss. So like you literally can do everything or you can do nothing. So what are the priorities for the day? What has to get done today? Why does it have to get done? And a lot of times you got to start with why, right? Like, why are you doing what you're doing as opposed to just, well, it's what I've always, you know, so so I try and do that. I mean, it doesn't always work. I mean, sometimes you get an email in the middle of the morning, whatever it is, you just but. I think trying to figure out, okay, what do I want my day to look like and trying to stay as close to that as I can, I find that that works pretty well for me. And then I feel a little bit, I feel organized because for a while I would feel like you can just, again, because there's no structure, you can feel like you're drowning. It's just, you can do everything or you can do nothing. And it's like, well, what do I do and what do I not do? And so I was trying to find some structure in it. So kind of done that, trying to spend some time writing every day, whether it's going over old bits and I found this new app um, that a Calgary comedian developed here, Derek Sweet, called uh, the Comedy Companion. And I'm going to add this out, by the way. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just going to edit out the uh, plug. You're like, you know what? Tell him to send a check or a minute. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I apologize. But, uh, what was yeah, it called? What was it called? It's called the Comedy Companion app. And it allows you to put all your jokes in there so you can write about and put notes in there. And you can also build set lists. So it allows you to transfer jokes over wow. to a set list. You can put a time there as well. So if you've timed it out, you know, it's seven minutes, 30 seconds, whatever. So I started having a lot of fun with that over the last week or two and um, just organizing some stuff there. So then it's on your phone. You know, you can kind of just go through it before a show or a dead. So try to spend some time writing or creative in that way. And then the other part is the business side, whether it's like meeting with my manager about upcoming tour dates. Where do we want to play? Why do we want to play there? When? Venues, all that stuff. So it's it's a lot of stuff. Of course, there's social media and putting ridiculous stuff yeah, on there's Facebook. There's never a shortage of work. That's for sure. There's never like well, that. yeah. I well, I've always said this to people here in Calgary. I'm like, when people tell me they played video games for four hours, I'm like, how? Yeah. How did you play video games for four hours? I don't understand where you found the time to play video games for four hours. I just don't have it. Like, I don't even have a kid, and I still don't have four hours to play video games. Right. I just don't like so. 
again, it's, I, I don't know. Everyone sets their own schedule, I guess, when you're an entrepreneur, if you look at it that way. So, well, it's like that, that automatic millionaire stuff where you, you know, you're investing now to have it later. Whereas a lot of people, it's like, it's like, you know, you make the 500 bucks, you spend it right away. So it's like, that's fine. You can just stay down here always broke and, and where yeah. you're at, or you can just sacrifice now, put the, you know, time is the currency, not money, but put the time in now. And hopefully you see a larger return on that investment later, as opposed to just, you know, Oh, I spent five yeah. minutes writing a joke and then tried it out at an open mic or whatever. Like I, I, I can see that. Um, I, I, if you don't mind my asking, this is something that's been very fascinating for years. I've, I've never explored it cause it doesn't really exist in Ottawa, but you're, you're saying you have a manager. How did that come up? Cause I know some comics who are larger have a manager. How do you go from just yeah. being, I represent myself. I send my own emails to getting a manager. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that's well, again, I, I felt, yeah, again, I felt like I was, I was drowning in a way because it felt like. I was doing this touring stuff and I mean, you've produced shows. So imagine instead of producing one show now you're, you've got seven tour dates on the calendar. We're talking contracts, insurance, liability, marketing, like print media, social media, all these things. You still have to go up on stage and do stand up. You still have to generate new material. You're still trying to be involved as a, as a, as a husband in a marriage, your dog owner, like, there was just too many things. I had too many balls. I was like, I can't do this. So I needed someone who had a little bit of some business expertise to go, I can handle this chunk of stuff. And so that's where I felt like it wasn't a, um, it wasn't an ego move. It wasn't a, no, uh, no. you know, like I'm at the stage where I need whatever. It was literally a workload move where I'm like, I need to delegate some of this stuff to someone who I, who I trust and I feel can do it and who wants to do it also too. So that's kind of the point that I got to. Um, and uh and then it allows me now to not make excuses for other stuff it's like well now you have more time to write there's no excuse you have a manager who's dealing with all a b and c that's off your plate and now you have time for this so it just freed me up to do more of the stuff that i should have been doing i found i was spending way too much time on the business side and not enough time on the creative side if that makes sense so is that someone you had to go seek out or did you receive offers to to have a manager i yes uh someone asked me to go for coffee he's like hey man want to have a chat with you whatever so i went for coffee and hit it off right away we looked at the world the same way like life in general the same way in terms of you know you got to create your own opportunities you got to work hard all those things that's great and uh just seemed to make sense so it was like yeah let's go for it so it's been great like i I could, I, in all honesty, and again, not because of career status, but just because of what I wanted to do, mm-hmm. I probably could have used it a couple of years ago. Like I look back now and go, oh man, I would have been way more productive creatively if I'd had someone to help me with that. And I had someone for a while, but they had a full-time job and then they had a baby and I just didn't have time to do it. They did, they did as great job as they could. So then there was a big gap where I couldn't find anyone else. So then this person came along and I was like, this is great. So so it's worked out really, really well. Yeah. So Jake, Jake Hirsch is my manager and he's been um, tirelessly working hard and, and, uh, and doing, and, and loves doing the part that uh, those things as well as I, I didn't enjoy doing them as much whereas he actually enjoys doing that stuff. So, oh, so it great. just kind of works out. Yeah. It just kind of well, worked out. It's nice way. when you have half, you know, half of the thing Cause that's the thing is sometimes, sometimes I bury myself in the work and the production part. Uh, I have fun designing posters and new logos and, and coming up with new ideas for new ventures and things like that. And then the whole, you know, the, the writing part, like I use the workload as an excuse to not do the writing a lot of the time, right? because just to, yep. just with the ADD or anxiety or whatever it is, I cannot stare at a blank piece of paper and just be like produce. But if I yeah, know, well, it's funny. 
No, sorry to cut you off. Go ahead. No, no, no worries. I was just going to say, but if, but in terms of you know doing a post or something, I know exactly all the information. Everything that I have to put out is there. It's just a matter of putting out. Whereas putting it on paper, in terms of the the, the joke or the material, I'm like, shit. I don't even know what it is. All I'm putting out, you know, I write the I had the first idea or the first premise line, and then it's like, now what? You know. So yeah, I, I think it happens to yeah. I think it happens to a lot of people who start their own business. Like I have friends who are physiotherapists and chiropractors and all that, and they open up a clinic, and the majority of their time is spent like filling out government forms and insurance liability stuff. And you got to do this. They got into the business because they love being a physiotherapist or a chiropractor and helping people and being hands on. And now they spend all this time doing paperwork at a desk and just, you know, so you can really slide down that slope pretty quickly mm -hmm. because it's, a, it is, there is a, an aspect of that that has to be done. So I was like, okay, well, can I find someone who's willing to, who wants to do that and is willing to do it? And that frees me up to do the thing that I really love, which is creating and generating material and performing. And then I still need to be engaged in that and know where it is. And we talk about it and meet about it. But at the end of the day, then I, I have time to do the stuff that I really, why I got into it, which was creating comedy and performing. So I have more time to do that. Yeah, no, and that's, and that's awesome. Um, and just in terms of, of course, like the biggest piece of, uh, of news on yourself, at least, uh, you know, what I've seen on social media is, is you're, you're becoming the cast member of, uh, of this hour is 22 minutes. Like that's. There's not a lot of huge uh, Canadian television shows, but in terms of something that's established, it's got a history of, of being good comedy in Canada. I mean, it, out, it outlasted Air Farce. Um, yeah, it's crazy. You know what I mean? I, yeah, so we're referring to it as like, I'm part of the on-air team. Is that, is that what the so official, like, yeah, the on-air team. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, I'll be doing a lot of the remotes and I'll probably be jumping in some sketches and stuff too. So yeah, man, it, it's, it is a huge honor because like I said, I've been there a couple of times as a writer for different stints and you're walking down the hallway and you see like all the old pictures, of the old cast members, and there's a lot of history involved with it. And uh, everyone there is super cool. So talented. I mean, everyone knows about the cast. They're amazing, but also the writers and the writers are great. The set designers, the people who do makeup and the costumes and the, like the people who do the technical production stuff, like the field producers, everyone is so talented and so nice. So it's like one big family there for the most part. And, and, um, so it's kind of, it's going to be exciting to get there, man. Like I'm, I'm really jacked to get going and, uh, and as far as some stuff at the wall and see what sticks. Yeah, man. That's well, that's great. I mean, like I said, I, I, I joke that, uh, I haven't watched in years. I haven't had cable in years, so that's the real, there you go. I, I, I dabble You've been here living in a cave for, uh, well, I have Netflix. <laughs> well, okay. There you go. Right? You the, I, I watch what I want. Unfortunately, they don't have a whole lot of, uh, Canadian <laughs> pop culture, political shows, uh, available for streaming yeah, on, yeah. on Netflix. But, uh, yeah. no, I mean, like that's, that's so awesome to, uh, to see that. I mean, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what, uh, what you're going to have. Well, it's an odd, it's an odd thing too, because as for being a stand up for 13 years, probably 11 of which have been full time, I haven't had a day job in 11 years. So like to actually have to go in somewhere every morning at, you know, early in the morning and you have a boss, you have a HR department and all that stuff. Like when I first went there for the writing stints, that was really different because I'm like, oh, this is a job. Like I get to be here every day. Like I was here yesterday, but you want me back again tomorrow. Like this is, I get to be somewhere. Yep. So it was a mental adjustment just to have a job again, you know, but it's a pretty unique job, obviously. Like it's, it's a lot of fun and you're creating a lot of stuff. And again, everyone is so talented and funny. You just, you can't help but be better because you're around such great, talented people. It's like, it just raises the bar for you. Absolutely. And it's, uh, and a little piece of trivia is that it, it has always been, and is still filmed in Halifax, right? Is it Halifax that it's filmed? Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. A lot of folks think it's in Toronto, but it's always been done in Halifax. Yeah. So 
And a great thing about being in Halifax, because it is a smaller city, East Coast, people are so friendly and nice, but also they've made that show their own. Like they're very proud of it. Mm-hmm. When you're out and about in the city, like people know what 22 minutes is and then they're really, they're really supportive of it. And uh, like you can't, tickets don't last because every Monday is a live taping. Oh, and I mean, really? like it's, yeah, it's just jammed every single Monday. Like the like people can't wait to get tickets to come and watch the thing and and watch it. So um, yeah, it's a really it's a great city. It's a great city to be in actually because there's it's a good it's a great community there, and they really do uh, they really put their arms around the show for sure. And you've been obviously several times to to Halifax. Yeah, I've done the festival three times there, and I've been out for three different writing stints with Twenty Two. So. I'm going for the first time uh, next week. Crystal and I are going to, to Halifax. We're oh driving my. there. We're driving. Oh the my whole Lord. Day. Yeah, 14, 14 hours just drive. So it's going to be like more like 16 by the time we stop for gas and, and get food and things yeah. like that. That'll be um, great, man. Yeah. We're going to check out the, be- the Cabot trail, which is another whole day of yeah. driving away from Halifax and driving around the Cabot trail. Yeah. Um, and then we drive back. We're going to check out, you know, a couple of little areas, Fisherman's Cove and try to get some of the picturesque things, you know, sw- quick swim in the yeah. ocean kind of thing. Uh, do you have yeah. any, uh, do you have any suggestions of maybe places to, to check out while in Halifax? Yeah, I mean, there's lots of like restaurants and shops and stuff downtown. I mean, it's like they got the the uh, harbor area too with the boardwalk and stuff. So there's all sorts of great places to get like fish and chips and stuff and nice. and those things. Especially this time of year, the weather will be great. Uh, and then of course, outside of Halifax, you have places like Lunenburg, which is like going back in time. Like it's like a really like the houses are really tight together, really cool, beautiful. Mahone Bay, all those areas are like it is. You can feel like you're going back in a time machine is beautiful, like beautiful, beautiful country and okay. oceans. Lunenburg's come up a few times in, uh, yeah, in you should, if you get a chance, it's worth the drive. It's worth checking out. Is it um, far? We're like, we're only in Halifax for like, we have the one day and we're spending most of that day headed towards oh, the Cabot okay, trail. Yeah. So we've got a little bit of the next yeah. morning. Like we're going to do, uh, we're going to get a Donaire while we're there because everyone says that Donaire is of course, different. Of course you will. Of course. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Yeah, it's a bit of a haul. Yeah, Lunenburg. I mean, it's not if you only have the one day, you'll have to be pretty economical about how you're going to spend your time, obviously. So, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just beautiful, beautiful territory. It's um, yeah, Halifax is great. It's a great city. Yeah, so we're looking forward to that. I thought I'd, uh, I'd pick your brain on that one. Yeah, well, definitely. Yeah, I'll, you'll uh, you will you will find a drinking establishment if that's what you're worried about, Justin. <laughs> you will find I'm a, not worried a, about a, that. A, some kind of some kind of pub with live music I... and a cold beer. You will be able to find that and locate that. <laughs> I think I'm going to be so exhausted after a 16 hour drive and then another whole day of driving around the Cabot Trail. I mean, it's going to be beautiful, and then yeah. of course, and then the very next day driving another you know 16 hours home. I'm going to, Oh, wow. Yeah. You're literally just out and back. Yeah. Yeah. So we're out Uh, driving around, like just driving CCCC. Uh, I've got a friend who, uh, who works at a a, a waterfront restaurant there. So we're going to, you know, have some, have some fresh, I'm not, here's the biggest thing. I'm not a seafood fan. I may have said this in the podcast already. I'm not a seafood fan. I don't like sushi. I, I, it's just the the smell and taste of fish. And I always hear the same thing when I tell people that they're like, well, you got to try it when it's fresh. And if you go somewhere where they're, they're good at it, it doesn't stink like fish or anything like that. So Part of, you know, uh, her bucket list was to see the ocean. So I'm like, you know, while we're there, we may as well try. Doesn't get any, you know, fresher than right there at the ocean kind of thing. So yes, I will exactly. try it. And if I don't like it there, I get to, I think I get to punch the person who says it to me in the face next time. Well, you got to try it when it's fresh. You know what I have? And fuck you and your false advertisement. <laughs> <laughs> I find that with people who love sushi. You tell someone you don't like sushi, they can't even accept it. Like, that blows their mind. They're like, well, what would you have? Where'd you have it from? It's like, how about you accept I don't like sushi? You yeah. know what I mean, like, why? It's almost like a cult. They're just like, well, no, you got to come with us. We're going to go. We go to this place called Glowfish. It's the best. Sushi. Like, I don't 
like yeah. it, but like they cannot get their head around the fact that how is it that someone could not like this thing that I adore? I tried the kids love, uh, what is it? Like dried seaweed. Like, you know, the, yeah, you, like horrible. That flat. Oh my God. They love it. I tried a piece the other day and it, you know, like you remember you ever have fish and you shake those flakes on top of the water and it smells like this. Yeah. It fucking tasted like I was eating fish food. And I was like, this is yeah. The, how much we paid for it and what it tasted like. I'm like, and that's what I feel, feel like about a lot of seafood. I had, um, way back when I worked for TELUS, they opened the new office building in Ottawa. It was like one of their, mm. their main headquarters or whatever. And they pulled out all the stops for this grand opening, you know, for, uh, uh tons of hors d'oeuvres and an open bar, but all the hors d'oeuvres they had were all fish or, or not fish. Sorry. I apologize. Sweet seafood, sweet food, not sweet food at all. Sweet <laughs> food. Yeah. So it was like, it was like scallops and shrimp and oysters. And I remember, uh, you know, looking at the oyster bar and they're like, have you, have you ever had oysters before? And I go, no, that looks disgusting. I'm not, I'm not interested in that. And then of course a gorgeous woman in a very low cut dress was like, Oh, you've never had one before. You should have one with me. And I'm like, okay. Uh, so, so, um, yeah, yeah I mean, I, I was, I was, uh, it was so funny because I go to have one and she's putting like the horseradish and the sauce and everything on it. And I go, I go to pick it up and do the same. She's like, no, no, if you've never had it before, you got to try it the way it is. And of course you see people just suck them out of the shells. Well, I went to suck it out of the shell and it wouldn't come. So I guess it wasn't shucked properly or whatever. So I just stick right. my teeth into it and rip it out of the shell with my teeth. Wow. And then I swallowed it and I was like, Ugh. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Yeah. And I remember it was just like, you know, when you see those horror movies and a slug crawls into someone's mouth and then down their throat, like that's what yeah. it felt. I was just like, yeah, I don't, that was, that was horrible. I remember just going crunch, like two bites, like crunch, crunch, and then swallow. felt like there was glass in the middle of a snot bubble. And it was just, oh, it was, oh, and I said, I'm like, that was awful. And she's like, well, now you can try one with the stuff. And I'm like, all right. So I tried <laughs> the stuff. I sucked it up and all I tasted was the horseradish and the the sauce. And I'm like this, yeah, yeah there's nothing to that. You know, I go, this is the, what an expensive habit to have. You know what I mean? Or to, the, yeah. oh, they're delicious. They're, they're $3. And she goes, well, they're an aphrodisiac. And I remember saying this again, open bar. I go, I would have fucked you before those. All right. I didn't need. <laughs> wow. You're like, yeah, you know what? <laughs> well, so she laughed. Shower. I go, yeah, I didn't yeah. need, I didn't need these, these horrible things. Very expensive. I, I, I feel bad for any guy who's out there who's like, you know, I kind of would like to be interested in, a, you know, sexual activity right now, but. You know, maybe, maybe these oysters will help get me in the mood. Yeah. I wonder if it like, I wonder if it actually tastes the same to you and to other people. Like, that's the thing I question. Like I'm, I'm the same thing with cilantro. Like I hate it. My yeah, wife loves it. I don't it. like and it I'm like, I, I'm like, are we tasting the same thing? Like, I know we both bit off the same thing part, but I'm like, I'm pretty sure my experience is different than your experience. Cause there's no way what I'm tasting you could taste and go, that's, oh, I love this. Like, it's I got don't this think weird, it's like soapy mint taste cilantro. Yes. It's just this like. I and overpowering. It's yeah. overpowering of everything else. It's like, I don't get it. Like, I just don't understand. So I guess that's why the world has different people in it. <laughs> that's why. That's something that like cilantro. I, I would have the weirdest list of, of people I would get rid of. And a lot of it would be based on food preferences. <laughs> yeah. You're like, you know what? Can't be around. I don't Can't care about, around. I don't care about Reese creed or, or color, sexual orientation, but if you like uh, tomatoes, I will fucking get rid of you. I, that's, that's I based, uh, <laughs> I base it on whether or not you put the uh, shopping cart back in the cart corral after you finish. That's really? how I divide. There's two groups of people. There's that <laughs> person who does. And there's that person who doesn't. And I ain't got time for the person who does. I do the half-assed attempt. 
right? If there's like, oh, a, you just throw it that direction. I find an empty parking spot and I park it right in the middle of that, so it inconveniences someone else. They have to get out and put it away for me. Well, I'm joking. Josh, That's not my actual strategy. Josh Williams, all about Josh Williams, ladies and gentlemen. That's I very... only I shop primarily at Costco, and uh, and there's mm. usually someone who'll be like, all right, I'll just give just give me the cart, just take it. I go okay. So all I've right, been, good enough. Yeah, I've been bred. So yeah, now that I quick scan. <laughs> yep. Okay, that's everything. Yeah, everything's in there. They go, just leave the cart. We want the spot. I go, okay. I park it behind the car next to me. So now when I yeah. when I park anywhere else, I'm like, where's the guy that wants my cart? Where's the other car? Yeah, yeah. My spot. <laughs> what is this thing? What is happening? Yeah, for sure. Well, that's fun. Yeah. So we're we're looking forward to that trip. Um, and yeah, dude. I mean, I'm 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 thrilled to uh, to see all the good things happening for you. Um, you know, what I mean, like I said, you're a funny guy, great friend. And, uh, and I appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to do the podcast with me. And of course, uh, being patient while we were doing everything else. Do you have anything, uh, anything big you're plugging? I do have listeners, uh, sort of all over the country. So anything coming Ooh. up in the near future that, uh, that you maybe like to plug uh, some people out to? Uh, yeah, I have a, a podcast of my own called the generators on iTunes. And, uh, my podcast is kind of more talking to people. I have a guest every single week. Um, I'll do, I did one special episode where it was just kind of me reading emails from people, but every, usually every week there's me with a guest and I like getting inside people's minds. So like kind of the conversation we've been having talking to people who are creating or generating anything. Excuse me. So I've had a sports journalist on, obviously I have access to a bunch of comedians. Um, going to be talking to someone who's got a production company, a media production company. Uh, I've talked to a personal trainer. So some of these episodes haven't dropped yet, but yeah, I've really been enjoying it. And I feel like every time you talk to people who have a wealth of knowledge, you're just smarter for having had that conversation. So yeah. feedback's been really great so far and people seem to really be enjoying it. So yeah, we're going to keep it going. It's been fun. Wicked buddy. Uh, any shows coming up uh, in the near future? Um, I'm going to be in Austin, Texas. Mid July is my next show there. I go back to Stephenville, Newfoundland, August 9th, and I'm doing the gathering with Shama Junder and friends in Burlington, Newfoundland this year towards the end of August. So yeah, I'm going to be quite home for quite a bit back in Newfoundland. So uh, that'll be fun, but yeah. And then it's going to be packing up and heading to Halifax for 22. Nice man. That's awesome. And, and, and for what I've heard recently, you are a rock star in Newfoundland. Like as soon as you announce a show, the tickets, I can even see the <laughs> smile on your face right now. You heard me say that. No, I don't know. Right, but I'm I, laughing because I heard. I heard you say that the other day on the podcast. And I'm like, no, not the second I announced the show. I, I gotta be honest. I've been very lucky. I got, I have some really loyal people who, who've been big supporters since the first time I got on stage. So, you know, it's like anything else. I think you, Again, it gets back to business, but like you're trying to build trust. And I think if people come out and they enjoy the show, then they trust and they'll tell other people because, and then their friends trust them clearly. So that's why you end up getting a bit of a following. So I've just been really, really fortunate to, uh, to be able to have that kind of, um, support back there. So yeah, it's always, always great. And when I go home, obviously I can just notice things that I, I haven't noticed before. And I can talk about that for half an hour on stage. It's just, uh, it's a magical thing. Yeah, buddy. So, uh, your website, uh, trendscomedy.com. It is, it okay, is, wait. and always has been. Yes. Okay. So, uh, yeah, all the show dates and stuff will be there and I'll see links to the podcast and stuff too. So now, uh, your DVD, is that available on your website as well? We have it as a download. Yes. Yeah, so you can okay. get positive vibes. Um, and then you purchase, uh, through PayPal there. So yeah, that's still up and running. Probably time for me to do another special sometime down the road oh, here. Where, where, I, um, where would you do that? I don't know. I, I was talking the other day, but I was like, I'd like to have that as a, 
a goal in the, maybe later this year. It's just going to be hard because trying to find the time to get the stage time in to get ready for it right. uh, with the day job is going to be hard now. But um, maybe early in the new year might be something that could be feasible. But yeah, I'd like to do another one. Yeah, man. Well, it's, I mean, I'd be looking forward to it. I'm going to, uh, I'm probably going to put uh, a, you know, a video out on, on Facebook or, you know, Twitter, just so people can get a little, little sample of your stuff. I like to use the, uh, I believe it was the Halifax, either Halifax or Winnipeg one where you're representing Alberta. Oh yeah. Yeah. How ironic is that, that they have a, a Newfoundlander representing Alberta at the comedy festival. It's like, it's kind of fitting in a way. Yeah. So many yeah. of us up here. Cause like, they go oh, from, yeah. from, uh, from Alberta, Trent McClellan, you start and you're like, uh, I, uh, I am from Alberta now, but I'm originally from New like just transitions right from the intro. Right into yeah. Alberta. Right away. But then I course- get emails from people. I get emails from people going like, what's this? Uh, you're from Alberta now. It's like, uh, <laughs> no, no, that's how they introduced me, yeah. sir. I didn't, uh, so that people get their backs up about it. But, yeah, that's uh, yeah, where I came so from today. I'm, I'm from Alberta yeah. today. I literally just flew here from Calgary. They're just yeah. being accurate in terms of he came from, yes. Yeah, so. yeah, it's a legal thing. So, they have uh, to make sure all the, uh, the, the T's yeah. are crossed. And no, right. I need to know where you flew from. I need to know where you flew from for your introduction. Like, okay. <laughs> they don't ask you. Just give us your plane ticket. We'll figure it out from yeah. there. Okay. We'll, we'll, where, we'll take it from there. Yeah, we can yeah. see where everything connected and whatnot. Um, well, awesome. Uh, Trent, really, I, I appreciate you taking the time, buddy. It's always a pleasure to talk. These interviews, uh, as much as, oh, let's, uh, let's put some structure behind it. I mean, you and I fuck around all the time. So I, I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah taking the it's time to, to get a little serious with me and share a, a little, little bit about yourself, you know? Yeah, um, man. So congrats yeah. on the, like I said, congrats again on the podcast. I've listened to a bunch of episodes and it's, uh, it's really good. So keep her going. Thanks buddy. I appreciate it. I still, it's a, it's a, it's a thing, you know, it's a, it's yeah, a growth it's a, thing. You know, a but little, you know what I realized about podcasting and I think you'll agree is that like, you got to find your voice in podcasting too, just like you had to in stand up. So it's like right. finding your, your comfort level, all those things. And so I've realized that with my own, like what's my vibe going to be, what's my, whatever. And that just takes repetition time, you know, and, and each one, I think you get a little closer to that. So it just takes uh, like all things. It takes patience. Right. So, yeah, I have very little of that. So I'm, uh, this has probably been the best I've ever done in terms of patience. I'm going to go to Walmart shortly. I'll pick some up for you. I've yeah. got a big bit of patience. <laughs> <laughs> Must be because those people sit around and expect very little. So maybe that's where they're yeah. getting it from. They're just yeah, they're like, like well, okay. I haven't had a chance to go to the old patient's bin there yet and put a scoop in there, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to run over. I got it in bulk. It's right next, right next to the $9 almonds you can get there. The uh, $9 a pound for an almond. Yeah, yeah if so. we can find, yeah, that's the thing I would love to just inject that in. Can you imagine just getting personality traits and, and things like that? You just go pick them up. Patience, ambition. Enthusiasm. Yeah. Oh, buddy, I would buy enthusiasm. The amount of people around me. Are hey, like, you got any? Uh, I see you're out of. I think you're out of fresh drive. Any more fresh drive? <laughs> fresh drive. No, okay. it's limited. We can only sell you so much in a day. Too much of it. Yeah. We don't want you too driven, sir. We don't want you too driven. <laughs> and then the accidents happen. So, can you imagine? Uh, yeah. And they sell it in cities where people would just leave. <laughs> we don't yeah, sell a lot of like, drive no. in Cornwall. We found that it was bad for the local economy. <laughs> people just up and left. We uh, kind of backfired. It really kind of hurt the yeah. market here. Really, we, the first uh, day, a big yeah, boom of it. Through. Just a big boom. They yeah, took it and they go, what the fuck are we doing here? And they were gone. Yeah, we're bringing in a bit of laziness to try and counter it. So <laughs> we got that coming in next week. So Despair. Keep it, uh, of course, <laughs> yeah, but of course, folks will... We'll have enough energy to come down and get it. So, ah, it's a real catch 22. <laughs> I don't know how we're going to get it done. <laughs> well, my friend, I, I appreciate you being on the show. Thank you so much. I'm just going to play our, our outro music here. Um, but yeah, guys, Trent McClellan, super funny uh, stand up comic, uh, a, a great guy to know on and off stage. Thank you so much for, for chatting with me today, buddy. Thanks, man. You have a good summer, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Talk soon, pal. Bye.